Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I am Jewel, and welcome back to Canna Confidential. We're looking forward to chatting with you today about the updates to the cannabis industry from a microcultivation perspective. As always, we're going to start with Canadian news, then move into the U.S., and then touch on any global information that we think would be useful to you, our listeners. So we're going to start with an article from BNN Bloomberg, and they report that Ontario online pot orders hit a high ironically, keeping steady amid coronavirus-related stockpiling. Cannabis stockpiling in Ontario led to some heavy sales last month, and early signs show that the demand may be sticking around. Data provided by the Ontario Cannabis Store showed daily online orders hovering in the mid-2000 range for the first half of last month, tripling when Canada moved to restrict U.S. border access and spiking to a high of nearly 14,000 orders when Ontario announced pot shops would be classed as non-essential, requiring a temporary closure. The daily orders have been hovering around the mid-2000 mark, but then because of this news, they spiked to that 14,000. So now, about two weeks later, daily sales have held steady around the 9,000 mark, almost five times the amount made prior to the start of the pandemic. While it may be too early to really gauge how COVID-19 will impact legal cannabis sales over the long term, The Ontario Cannabis Store numbers provide a highly precise glimpse at how people are consuming cannabis during the pandemic. And I don't think this comes as a surprise to anyone. Do you, Cheryl? No, I'm certainly not surprised by this at all. A lot of people use cannabis to manage anxiety and stress, and so this is, you know, exactly what one would expect. Uh, Yeah, I really don't think there's much else that can be said about it. As you said, people use it for those specific reasons, and a pandemic would be tapping into those exact uh, niche markets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, For Canada, I'd like to talk about the outdoor cultivation uh, crew that are are, uh, prepping to get their crop in the ground. Health Canada approvals for outdoor cultivation for cannabis have increased by more than 25% in the past few months, and growers are bullish for now, despite the pandemic that's encroaching into the planting season. Canada uh, outdoor cannabis producers, contacted by Marijuana Business Daily, said they expect their open-air crops to proceed as usual this year. For example, the CEO of 48 North Cannabis said he doesn't anticipate any delays at all in his Canada's outdoor Um, Ontario facility. We hope that the government will continue to consider us as an essential service, an essential industry, and that they'll take into account the fact that outdoor cultivation does allow for further social distancing than the indoor would. So that's a quote from the the CEO from 48 North. The optimism among the cultivators signals continued growth in the higher volume, lower cost category in Canada as large producers have shut down some major greenhouse operations. It's worth noting right here that, uh, according to my research, 
outdoor cannabis, because you're not paying for fans and lights and rent or a mortgage, uh, you can produce cannabis in the range of five cents to ten cents a gram. Where when you go indoors, you're usually around the two dollar to two twenty, or sorry, a dollar fifty to two twenty five a gram. So it's uh, there's a a real appeal to a grower to uh, to be growing outside. That being said. Growing outside comes with a whole lot of uh, technical difficulties that you can't address when you're uh, when you've got the the advantage of growing indoors. And also, there's no reason when you're tapping into the derivative markets created in the cannabis industry, so edibles, oils, tinctures, those things don't need to be grown or the cannabis used for those products doesn't need to be grown inside. When you're growing indoors, you're typically planning to sell it for flour, partially because it's based off of the look of the product. And the, the quality of the product. And, and there are people that will argue with this, but I, I believe that uh, the quality of indoor cannabis grown indoors is superior to outdoor and maybe not in the organic taste of it, but certainly because you're able to control the environment so much that um, I believe it's a, a better quality product. Well, and there's lower risk in a lot of ways with indoor as well, because with outdoor, sometimes you're at the mercy of Mother Nature and what weather delivers for you, whether it be temperature or rain or a storm, that can impact your crops if you're truly growing outdoors, not in a greenhouse or something. Whereas indoors, yes, the cost is higher per gram, but you're also able to control those factors to grow the plant without as many incidentals. Very true. And in by February of this year, Health Canada had approved 33 authorizations to cultivate cannabis outdoors, roughly doubling the number of commercial outdoor grows in the nation from the previous summer. And as of March, the number of outdoor cannabis cultivation authorizations granted by Health Canada had increased again to 42, a 27% gain in just one month. Which is significant when you think about how few licenses they were handing out for a while there. And those 42 outdoor cultivation authorizations include 27 standard cultivation licenses, which those are the big players, the million... Uh, square foot facilities, uh, and as well as 13 micro cultivation license, which is the smaller, mm, small business uh, craft brewery version of a cultivation, as well as two nursery licenses, and those would be suppliers for actual plants or clones to standard producers or micro cultivators. And figures provided by Health Canada suggest the number of outdoor cultivation authorizations should continue growing in the months to come, although the pace of new license approvals might be delayed because of the COVID pandemic because a lot of the Health Canada employees are working from home and so that presents another set of challenges. 
as are many people right now. So it remains to be seen realistically. Licenses could actually be processed faster because some people have mentioned that working from home, they have fewer distractions, but then it depends on your home situation. So at this point, I, it's really an unknown as to whether licenses will be delayed or whether they'll be processed faster. But the trend is that licenses are for outdoor cultivations are moving at a faster pace. Yes. Now we're going to go to an article from CBC. The Ontario-based cannabis company Canopy Growth is closing its operations facility in Yorkton, Saskatchewan as part of a series of changes the company announced on Thursday. It's also ceasing farming operations in Springfield, New York and, and at its cultivation facility in Columbia. And in Springfield, New York, it was a hemp facility with I'm assuming plans to transition into a cannabis cultivation once it is legal there, federally. Canopy Growth says it's working to exit its operations in South Africa and Lesotho, a small country encircled by South Africa. Canopy says it plans to transfer all its ownership in Africa to a local business. The company said those changes would mean cutting a total of 85 full-time positions. A Canopy Growth spokesperson did not respond when CBC asked how many of those jobs are related to the Yorkton-Saskatchewan closure. However, Yorkton's mayor says that as he, it, as he understands it, there were only six people employed at the local growing facility, and while he has heard the employees might be relocated to jobs in other Canadian cities, the company itself has not confirmed that. Canopy Growth is the owner of the Tweed and Tokyo Smoke Cannabis Retail Shops and the medical marijuana company Spectrum Therapeutics. Shortly before cannabis retail sales became legal in Canada, in October 2018, a managing director told CBC he expected the Yorkton facility expanding to employ 80 people by the end of that year. Anybody who's been following this knows that the big Canadian cannabis producers are struggling and canopy growth is one of the biggest and so therefore it's you know it's understandable that they are struggling because all of the standard producers are having serious growing pains. It seems my observation on it is that the uh, the, the large players didn't get uh, themselves anchored here in producing a quality product, marketing a quality product, delivering a quality product, and building up their database, but instead immediately jumped to international growth. And involving the licensing portion in other countries, it appears that it's going to be years and maybe even decades before some of these countries that they've jumped into will actually get the paperwork together to legalize cannabis in those countries. So these big players have overextended when they didn't even have a solid footing um, in what they were doing here in Canada. Well, in Canada, prior to legalization, was known to be one of the largest consumers of cannabis from what was then the black market. So to come into an industry and be corporate cannabis without associating yourself with any of the growers that are known by people who have been using cannabis for years... Why would you think that a brand new consumer base that has been using the same product that you're producing is suddenly going to switch to you just because you're the quote legal option when your product has been 
recommended by most people to be subpar when related to the black market. It just wasn't an ideal strategy for coming into a market where they already had the black market up against them and they should have worked harder to maybe not associate themselves with the black market or anyone from that industry, but to make more of an effort to get consumers interested in why the legal market would be a better opportunity or a, a better route for them. Well, let's face it, all growers legally now are still being challenged by the quality that comes off the black market. And the black market doesn't have the overhead or the... Uh, the compliance issues that a legal grow has and so they also have a ton of experience yes and so there there's uh, there's going to be a, a difference in quality for sure well when you're talking about corporate cannabis because yes. the, yeah. the black market growers have been doing this for a long time and they have their system dialed in and a lot of the black market it. growers uh, as we discussed in a previous um, podcast that in BC, they have put aside um, $675,000 to help the black market growers, because they're so good at it, join the, the, uh, the legal market. And so that, that to me is when you can, it, it, that's the key to success. When you can get a black market grower legal, there's no stopping it then. Not all of the legal corporate cannabis companies are struggling. Now we are going to go to an article talking about what's working. Here comes Afria. Ontario-based cannabis producer Afria reported its fourth consecutive quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA, separating itself from competitors that raked up a collective net loss exceeding $6 billion Canadian dollars in recent quarters. Afria's adjusted EBITDA, that's a measure of profitability. For that period ending February 29th, rose 5.7 million Canadian dollars, up substantially from its 2 million in the previous quarter. The company is based in Leamington, Ontario, and also reported steady improvement in revenue. Net revenues rose 20% from the previous quarter to a Canadian dollar of 144 million. Afria reported improved figures across the board. Kilograms sold doubled to 14,000 kilograms, or that's over 30,000 pounds for the December to February period. And Afria wants to start selling cannabis directly to recreational consumers, cutting out retailers. Should cannabis producers be allowed to sell their recreational wares directly to customers? Afria CEO Erwin Simon seems to think so. In an interview with BNN Bloomberg, Simon said that if the company was allowed to ship legal cannabis directly to customers, it would be able to keep prices low, increase consumption and tax revenue, as well as better compete with the illicit market. Cannabis producers are already allowed to sell medical cannabis directly to patients, but cannot sell directly to recreational customers. Simon added that Afria isn't planning to temporarily lay off any staff due to COVID-19, noting the company may add workers to assist in bringing one of its greenhouses up to full production capacity. So to touch on this idea of selling directly to recreational, I think that that's definitely something we're gonna see in the future. It's just a matter of working it out through the process because wineries are able to sell their product even if you think specifically in the Niagara region like ice wine which is the Niagara region is known for that they can sell directly from their winery to 
people who order online, people who come to the winery, why should it be different for cannabis? And I don't think it should either. If they can sell their wine to people that come to the facility and they can send a case of wine to someone that has ordered it from another, uh, perhaps not another province, but certainly another region inside Ontario, then there's no reason why cannabis shouldn't be given the same parameters. Uh, yeah, especially within provincial borders. You should be able to order within your own province and have it shipped to you regardless of recreational or medical. Although that does bring up another situation where they've allowed retailers to open up dispensaries and they've allowed people to have storefronts. What happens to them if, if all the growers are allowed to deal direct then it kind of cuts out a segment of, I get it, it, it cuts down on the price too because you've cut a middleman out, but there are people that are relying on those businesses that now would be... Well, cannabis producers can't necessarily sell um, any related product, like a vape oh, pen. Oh, that's true, yeah. They could sell a cartridge, but not necessarily the pen. They couldn't sell... Glass. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it depends, or grinders. It really or depends papers, yeah. on what you're looking for. And there's no difference between shopping online or going direct to buy your eggs from a local farmer or going to the grocery store. Like People prefer to do both. Or if you're local store has the product there on hand, you might prefer that to waiting for shipping. Yes. Yeah. So I think there's room in the market for both. It probably is. Now we're going to move to the U.S. And the first article is from Yahoo Finance. And they're discussing whether the coronavirus, COVID-19, could accelerate U.S. cannabis legalization. As the economic damage from the coronavirus pandemic piles up, U.S. cities and states are set to face significant loss revenue given the loss of business activity. But as Datatrex research writer Jessica Rabe reports in a note, there's a simple and effective solution for states and cities to help cover their huge budget shortfalls after the COVID-19 pandemic subsides, and that's legalized recreational sales of marijuana. New York, the epicenter of COVID-19 cases in the U.S., might see a revenue drop of $4 billion to $7 billion U.S. dollars compared to what it was expecting according to the state's comptroller. With a budget of $87.9 billion, that's quite significant. We've been thinking a lot about how life will change post-virus, and one big difference will be that state and local governments are going to encounter large unexpected tax receipt shortages. That's particularly true when it comes to sales and income taxes amid stressed consumer balance sheets and massive layoffs. And unlike the federal government, states can't print unlimited amounts of money. Legalization of cannabis for adults, Ray points out, could be a really easy way to shore up tax bases without driving people out of state as raising income tax might do. Already, it has been successful at raising hundreds of millions of dollars annually in states like Colorado. There are currently 11 states with legalized recreational cannabis and another 15 that have decriminalized the drug in one way or another. Although New York Governor Andrew Cuomo hasn't been successful in efforts to push le legislation for legalization, conservative estimates have shown it can bring up to $1.3 in revenue per year. 
If Colorado can raise $300 million from recreational and medical marijuana sales in a year, New York can certainly earn over a billion as long as the state taxes and regulates adult use sales reasonably. If New York were serious about using cannabis as a way to make up for lost revenue, it could be relatively straightforward given the infrastructure already in place because of medical cannabis dispensaries, which opened in 2016. As Raid sees it, the coronavirus pandemic may give New York a key push toward legalization. That would be a great way to build some uh, coffers back into the revenue stream. It's been proven in multiple states that when cannabis is legalized, the tax revenue increases. Yes, and it might be something that people would be willing to spend on, whereas other things people might continue to be somewhat conservative. But I think as opposed to raising income tax within the state, having this as an option and taxing it the same way they do uh, alcohol or tobacco is an option that people are going to buy it either way. It's something they're not yes. going to go without. Yeah, there's something they're not going to go without. And I have some encouraging news from, uh, from MJ Biz Daily. Across the United States, medical marijuana business owners are reporting firm prices for wholesale flour, although actual price levels vary, vary widely and largely depend on a market's maturity. New programs in Pennsylvania and Ohio are seeing top-of-the-market dollar figures for flour, bolstered by a growing number of new patients entering the market, which kind of speaks to what you were just saying, that people are not going to go without. And if they have to become a medical patient and go through the process of, of uh, accessing cannabis with a doctor, that, that's the way they're going to do it. I think a lot of people would actually prefer that because if you are seeking it for medical reasons, the last thing that you want to do is get a product that you don't know where it came from and you don't know if it could be contaminated with something else. Right, right. So uh, Marijuana Business Daily surveyed several growers, analysts, and business owners in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Massachusetts, Illinois, and Oklahoma to determine, one, what they were getting for their wholesale pounds of cannabis, Two, how supply and demand are playing out in their state. So below, here are some excerpts from the interviews. Sarah Gluckson, from, she's the CEO from a cannabis consultancy, Cannaboss Advisors. She's based in Phoenix. Uh, she holds a um, medical marijuana license in four states. And the prices that she's seeing per pound of wholesale, fl wholesale flour are as follows. In Arizona, top drawer is bringing in 2400 a pound. Miss Michigan is between 1500 and 1600 a pound. Ohio is 3000 to 3200 a pound. And Pennsylvania is running as high as 7000 a pound. That, that's very, that's higher than black market here in Canada. That's impressive. <laughs> And going off of that, according to Barron's, as the COVID-19 crisis deepens, U.S. pot producers are just going to continue to be more profitable. So relating off of what you mentioned in states where it is legal to purchase medical cannabis, at least, uh, it's just going to continue to grow. The patient base is going to get bigger, which means there's going yes. to be a higher demand, which either means there need to be more suppliers or the prices are going to go up. Yes. And for those prices um, in Pennsylvania at 7000 a pound, th that's U.S. dollars, too. That's over 10000 a pound. And black market in 
in Canada from I, I last looked at it about a year and a half ago and it was at 3800 a pound here then so um, these prices are astronomical and apparently um, Bluxon spoke to several people that confirmed the, this astronomical amount uh, the state has limited licenses and strong demand and I think that's what you're just going to continue to see according to Barron's as COVID-19 began to really make an appearance in the U.S. in February, sales of medical marijuana jumped at True Leave Cannabis. The Florida-based chain sold 50% more smokable cannabis in the month's third week than in the same week of January. By March's third week, the COVID cases in the state were soaring, and True Leave sales had jumped another 50% to more than 21,000 ounces in the week ending in March 19. Medical marijuana customers were loading up on a product they thought essential in a disaster, which is just what we were talking about, how it's considered an essential by the people who use it, and it's not something that they're, go that they're willing to go without. So right. if they have to stockpile it, then it's very clear that that's what they're willing to do. Especially medical patients, they need it. It's not a, it's not a matter of a, a recreational thing. According to Kim Rivers, the chief executive officer of TrueLeave, we are very accustomed to hurricanes here. There was a rush of activity prior to any potential stay-in-place order, and that's exactly what they've put in place in a great deal of Florida is a stay-in-place order. Cannabis operations in every state that allows them to operate are reporting a rush on dispensaries, which have been deemed an essential service in the, U in the U.S. as well, as states close other retail activities. Recreational sales are up too. Like alcohol, people cope with stress by using cannabis. And that's according to Matt Hawkins, who runs a $165 million cannabis private equity investments at Entourage Effect Capital. The burst of pandemic panic complements a steady rise in U.S. cannabis sales that investors have largely overlooked amid the financial problems that have been faced by better-known Canadian names like Aurora and Canopy. While their stock prices sank by almost 90% in the past year, the U.S. federal law, which still doesn't allow recreational cannabis but allows medical cannabis, demonstrating that while cannabis is not legal recreationally, that medical cannabis is still profiting quite well in the U.S. So TrueLeave and U.S. rivals like Cureleaf Holdings and Green Thumb Industries trade at a discounted rate to their Canadian counterparts, even though as U.S. operators, they are positive cash flow producing and their sales are dwarfing that of Canada's. Yet still the U.S. government hasn't seen it fit to legalize cannabis recreationally federally, but as we mentioned previously, COVID-19 could be the push that essentially requires federal legalization to pull the states out of the tax debt that they are finding themselves in due to the pandemic. Well, demand has definitely gone up, and it's not a bad time for marijuana. Apparently in the U.S. it's... Uh the prices are, are doing well and, and uh, supported. It's the age-old supply and demand. And where the newer licensed states, prices are a little higher. And as the market ages, the prices will stabilize. But there are a lot of new medical customers coming online, and that helps to support the higher pricing and the, the push towards legalization. 
I think that's really what we're just going to see more of. It's people want it because as mentioned earlier in a previous article, it's a way for people to cope with the stress of the situation. And in moments like this, people will do what they have to do to relieve discomfort, whether that's medically induced or stress induced. Now we're going to go into Mexico and discuss what's happening for legalization of cannabis there. According to MJ Biz Daily, Mexico's deadline to legalize cannabis has been extended to December 15th of this year. The Supreme Court accepted a request from a group of senators on Friday to postpone the April 30th deadline to approve a law to legalize cannabis nationwide. The bill is expected to be approved during the Senate's next ordinary session period, which starts in September. This report in March states that the April 30th deadline was expected to be missed because both houses of Mexico's legislature suspended most of their work because of the pandemic. The Supreme Court originally set an October 2019 deadline, but the Senate received an exceptional and one-time only extension after it failed to reach a consensus. Senate commissions approved the legislation bill in March, but the document still needs to go through the full Senate, then the Chamber of Deputies, which is the lower house, before being signed into law by the president. If legislators comply with the new deadline, a functional regulated cannabis market in Mexico could still be years away. But with the legislation in place, that means that it is coming. So even if it is a few years away, the fact that it's happening is a reality. It has to become a reality in Mexico. There's a lot of money generated from cannabis already. And Mexico would be wise to capitalize on the the tax base that would be um, generated from legalization. And I think that's exactly what they are planning to do because the illegal drug market is a problem for a lot of uh, Mexico just in daily life for some of their citizens. So by legalizing cannabis they will be alleviating a portion, not all, but a portion of that part of the market that is illegal. Now, yes, it will take years to sort out what the legal market looks like and get it in place and actually begin to combat the black market, but I'm sure for the citizens of Mexico, it's very encouraging, even the idea that it could be legalized within the next few years. And it all starts with a single step, so... The sooner they get on board with moving that forward, the better. And our final article today is also from MJ Biz Daily, and that's about Australia's first export of cannabis to the UK. West Perth-based Little Green Pharma said it completed the first ever commercial export of Australian-produced medical cannabis oil to the United Kingdom. The shipment moves Australia into competition with countries such as Canada and the Netherlands in the competitive but so far unlucrative medical cannabis export market. In March, the UK eased import restrictions for medical cannabis. Now, licensed wholesalers are able to import large quantities of cannabis-based medicine and hold supplies for future distribution. This first export 
of Australian-produced medicinal cannabis oils to the UK marks an important step in fulfilling Australia's vision of building a global medicinal cannabis industry capable of supplying quality medicinal cannabis products to both Australian and overseas patients, according to Greg Hunt, Australia's Minister for Health, in a statement he released. Little Green Pharma's products will be distributed by the UK's Astral Health. Over a year ago, Little Green Pharma became the first Aussie company to locally grow and produce medical cannabis for domestic sale. Why this is so interesting is because the UK has been making very small steps towards legalizing cannabis in a bigger way. They have uh, CBD oil, which is quite popular, but they haven't actually fully legalized cannabis recreationally and even medically it's very 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 heavily regulated so to see them importing anything at all is a really good sign of what's to come it's exciting for everybody in australia too because i know um, there are a lot of good growers there they have the the right climate and and there are a lot of good growers in australia so it's nice to see this coming around and it's nice to see that their federal government is supporting them in a way that makes it possible yeah, yeah. for them to export and you know countries have to work together when there's an important export situation occurring so for that to happen there were a lot of pieces that had to fit together and to see that is really wonderful that's right and before we close I just want to finish off by saying that um, 420 April 20th uh, is known as the unofficial cannabis holiday and it's usually celebrated with by cannabis enthusiasts around the world. Typically there are cannabis based outdoor celebrations complete with music festivals and food vendors and a lot of consumption of all things cannabis. Usually for organizers this is a money-making venture however with what's going on in the world right now all celebrations in honor of cannabis have been cancelled. Deemed a gathering of more than five people, it seems that these celebrations would be illegal. Instead, now organizers are struggling to find ways to celebrate remotely, which just doesn't seem to have the same appeal or the financial benefits associated with the usual larger outdoor gatherings. If you're looking to virtually celebrate 420, check online with MJ Biz Daily or another search engine that you want to use for online concerts complete with giveaways. Some organizers have already paid deposits to venues and performers and have been able to postpone the festivities. However, most don't see the event panning out the same way as the traditional 420 parties. And just because things are postponed, whether it's cannabis related or something else that you were looking forward to, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. This is just a pause. We will pick up our lives again. We will move forward. There will be more festivals in the future. So while 2020's festival might be postponed, that doesn't mean that it can't occur in the fall, that there won't be an even bigger festival next year. And it's important to remember that there is hope and that things are going to work out. So with that being said, there are lots of festivals online that you can be a part of, or you can postpone the festivities and enjoy it when you can be back outside with your friends and enjoy it in person. But either way, we hope that you have a wonderful week and we will talk to you in our next episode. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Have you met Mary Jane? 
so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, then please send an email to admin at kinhana.com. That's K-I-N-H-A-N-A.com.